everyone. Welcome to the Make Life Matter podcast. I'm your host, Angela Donatio, Bible study author, adventure junkie, and founder of Voice of the Voiceless, empowering women in Africa. Join me here every week for inspiring conversations on discovering miracles in life's messy moments. Here's this week's episode. Welcome back to the Make Life Matter podcast. This is your go-to podcast for anyone craving fresh ways to apply God's word to your everyday life. You know, we lean in every week for an inspiring conversation. And today I am so excited to be sitting down with my friend, Sue Schlesman. She's a Christian author, a speaker, an English teacher, and a pastor's wife. She has a bachelor's in creative writing and a master's in theology and culture. So you're in for a great treat today. Her second book, Soul Speak, Praying Change into Unexpected Places, released last August and is a Sela Award finalist. Sue's material appears in a variety of print and online radio, podcast mediums. She has a passion for missions, for social justice, for traveling, reading, and for the local church. You can find her writing about life, education, family, and Jesus at sueschlesman.com. Well, welcome, Sue. I am so glad to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's an honor to be on your show. Well, we live not very far apart and we share the same, a couple of the same things, but we're both pastor's wives. So for people who don't know you, tell us a little bit about you, your family, where you're from, all those good things. I, well, I live in Richmond, Virginia. My husband is the lead pastor at West End Assembly of God here in town. And we have three adult sons. One's about to be married this summer. And (laughs) because of COVID-19, that Those plans are constantly in flux, Ah. Uh, but he's getting married August 1st, um, one way or another. And um, he's 27. Our middle son, his name is Bruce. Our middle son, Brent, is 24. He's in physical therapy school um, to be a doctor of physical therapy. And our youngest, Brady, is almost 20. And he just finished his first year at Virginia Tech. Our oldest son's in politics. And Mm. um, it's a joy. it's a joy to be a mom and it's a joy to have um, your children grow up and and know the Lord. But um, I'm a high school English teacher. You read a lot of the other stuff, but I do a lot of writing. I've been writing my whole life and um, have taken (laughs) huge breaks in, in publishing, but um, I'm trying to get back in and write a lot of articles and working on another book. So I'm reading soul speak as we speak and I absolutely love it. I'm about halfway through. So Let's talk about that for just a minute, because I would love to know, for you, how did you even come up with the title Soul Speak? Define that for us who may not even know what you mean by that. Yeah, so Soul Speak is about uh, prayer, and there's a lot of books out on prayer, but I wanted to take a a kind of a different approach to a really familiar topic that no matter how many books we read or sermons we hear about prayer, people seem to have the same concern. Uh, They don't know if they're doing it right. They don't feel like their prayers get answered. They're frustrated, that type of thing. And so I wanted to approach it from a perspective of learning how to just let your soul speak to God, how to approach prayer from a standpoint of relationship 
and emotion rather than, you know, something on my spiritual checklist that I know I'm supposed to do and I know it's supposed to be powerful and I'm supposed to like it, but I'm really not satisfied with what's going on in that department. I, I really love it. I love this quote on page 10. It says, we fail to see that the act of praying itself is not a covering, but instead a ripping away of the cloak that conceals an anxious heart. Soul speak pushes us into God's presence. I mean, I had to go back and read that a couple of times because I think we do, and I would love for you to literally speak to this, but I think we think, oh, prayer is a covering. And you literally kind of turned that concept on its head by saying it's actually the opposite. It's a ripping away of the cloak that conceals the anxiety that mm -hmm. sometimes we live with or carry and don't actually bring that to God. So I'd love for you to just kind of talk about that for a minute. I think the natural go-to for prayer is bless this, give me that, answer this, what do we do about this? And it's so natural for us to treat God like he's a genie in a bottle rather than using the avenue of prayer for which it was designed, which is for us to speak. Uh, you know, scripture says that the spirit groans for us when we don't have words. When Jesus is praying, he's spending hours in prayer with his father and he is God and he's, you know, sweating drops of blood in John 17 and he's, he's fasting for 40 days. I mean, he's in a completely open posture before God and it's waiting to receive and waiting to hear and just being honest. And as I study, I did a prayer study of the Bible, not that I'm an expert on the whole entire Bible, but I did a prayer study of looking for all the people who prayed and how they prayed. And I started noticing some really interesting commonalities with prayers, Old and New Testament. And most of the prayers that I found recorded in scripture, and there's a ton, not just David, although the Psalms is obviously full of prayers, but throughout the Old and New Testament, we have lots of recorded prayers in scripture. And almost without fail, people began by praising God. And they ended by praising God. They started off worshiping, discussing who God is, speaking back to God who he is, that he's good and he's just and is merciful and his love is forever and, and this type of thing. And then they confessed their sins. Then they either lamented or gave thanks. They did these several things before they ever got to the request piece. The other two prayers that I cover, because there's seven and I do them in this order, praise, confession, lament, thanksgiving, request, intercession, which is a request for somebody else, and then spiritual warfare, which is waging war against our spiritual enemy. And that is the most mature type of prayer, the, probably the one that scares us the most. But what I noticed um, about this pattern is that it really set us up to pray from a pure heart. There's so many verses about God not hearing us because we're asking with selfish motives or we're, we're hiding sin in our heart. And, you know, there's a various reasons why prayers don't get answered. But if we approach prayer from a, a true faith perspective that God is God and he does what he wants to when he wants to, because he has a higher will. And if I really, a higher plan for us, and if I really honestly trust that God is good and only does good, that he's not up there with a hammer waiting to bang me or so excited to lead me through a terrible time of suffering or something. If I really believe that God is good, then it changes the way that I ask for things. And it changes the way that I react when I don't get the answer that I want or don't get it in the time frame that I think it should happen. 
and probably now during, since we're in this coronavirus period of time, we are all familiar with praying for things and having to wait and wait for all kinds of things, waiting at the grocery, waiting to get stuff from Amazon, just waiting for places to open. We get very impatient and this, this is very true of our spiritual walk. We can get bent out of shape and thinking that God is not doing what he's promised to do. When in fact, if I approach God from the perspective that he has already set his will in motion, he's invited me to be a part of his story and the narrative that's going to play out in my life will bring him glory. If I don't get selfish and, you know, control freakish over it and try to mandate, this is what needs to happen. This is when it needs to happen. And we work these things out when we pray. The great thing about prayer is I can just be honest and say what I don't like, what's not working, what I'm afraid of. It's really the best possible therapy you can have because God loves us more than anybody else and has already proven his love by sending Jesus to die for us. So his goodness is paramount to kind of our our faith walk and what I expect him to do. So prayer is this emotional relationship that we have, this spiritual connectivity. And it's really more about me processing what God's doing in my life than me trying to figure out what he's doing in my life. Mm, That's good. That's really good. You even talk in the book about, let's just say the answer that we wanted doesn't come, that prayer changes us in the process. You mentioned that God doesn't necessarily need our praise or adoration. He's fully who he is without that, but we need the process of adoring him and praising him and kind of recalibrating our hearts in his presence. And and you even mentioned like leaning into that God ache Mm -hmm. that we were created for. And I love that desperation that's behind that. What kind of drove you to write it from that vantage point? The times that I have been closest to the Lord are the times when I've been the most desperate. I think this is true for everybody. When things are going well, we tend to just carry on in our own strength and expect that life will continue to fall into place. The things that we want to happen will happen. And it's when the rug gets pulled out from us, someone is ill or someone uh, dies, or we have grief over a person or a job or a calling or a relationship, something catastrophic happens like COVID-19, that reminds us, I can't control anything. None of this is in my control. And the desperation drives me generally to the Lord. If I'm a Christ follower, it drives me to God or it drives me away from faith. And I say, you know, forget this. If God's going to do stuff like this, then I don't want to believe in him, which is why I say that our, our initial theology that God is good and does good is so paramount to how we react to things. But prayer is the language of the desperate. It is for desperate people it's the best place to learn how to pray is when we're desperate, right? So uh, as things have happened to me, I have found that leaning into God, leaning into that ache is the only place that I find reason and fulfillment and motivation to keep believing, to not fall away from my faith and to keep moving forward in life. That's a lot of pressure to put on yourself if you have to control your own universe. And I I know in the book that you talk about one of those seasons that really kind of left you in a desperate place. And that was um, a very traumatic car accident. And I just want to invite you to just kind of talk about that and how you even saw the hand of God, the goodness of God, like you're saying is, is a baseline for even our faith walk is do we trust and believe that God is good and not just good universally, but good to us. 
So I would love for you to just kind of talk us through what happened with that car accident and how that changed you, what God did in your life through it. Well, I was in a, ended up being a traumatic car accident probably about 12 years ago. I was driving down a street that was, there were heavy trees hanging on both sides. The branches were hanging down on both sides of the street and a, a branch was in front of a stop sign. And I wasn't super familiar with the street. I knew the crossroad was coming up, but I thought it was further ahead. And I just sailed right through the intersection and I had the stop and the, the cross street had, didn't have a stop sign. It was just continual traffic. And the car that hit me was coming, he's probably going 50 miles an hour or more. And it was around a curve. And so he kind of had a blind curve and then came up on the intersection that I sailed through. Anyway, we struck and spun out in the middle of the street, uh, totaled both of our vehicles. He died at the scene of the, at the scene of the accident. Mm. They rushed me to the hospital and, you know, my airbag went off and the typical, I, I had a massive concussion, which they didn't catch at first, but um, burns and, and scrapes and stuff on my arms, but they did the whole MRI and looked for broken. I didn't have any internal or external injuries that they noticed at first, but the emotional trauma that developed because of this accident. So I didn't know, I was asking about how he was, no one would say. Then, uh, you know, the police investigation began. So I'm in, they're taking multiple blood samples and everything one for criminal investigation, one for the hospital records. And, wow. and the police were in my room and it was, the accident was reported on the news incorrectly, but on the nightly news, it was in the newspaper. The facts were wrong. Um, there were a lot of eyewitnesses. Most of their testimonies were inaccurate, but you know, there, it, it, it turned into this, I had to get a lawyer and court case to determine whether or not I was criminally responsible which meant I was looking at manslaughter or something like that. And, you know, then there's jail time attached or there's, it was frightening. And, and, and they, you know, and then we determined that I had a concussion because I couldn't speak and I was walking crooked <laughs> and uh, I would just, I couldn't remember anything. I couldn't put two things together. And um, I hear I'm teaching school at the same time and trying to manage my house. Um, and my husband just kind of took over all of that. The, the whole process of, and there's a lot of waiting, you know, so, you know, there's other people's attorneys are calling the house all the time. And, you know, there were just, it was just, it just kept ramping up. There's this big list of, of things that start happening and every little bit of it is another aspect of trauma. And I had, I started seeing a therapist. I had post-traumatic stress. I felt so much guilt and so much not guilt that I had sinned, but I just, you know, I felt responsible and I felt horrible and I wasn't in my right frame of mind. And I was living in the Psalms. I was reading the Psalms all the time uh, because David has so many beautiful Psalms of lament and grief and confusion and so many prayers where he's asking God, why is this happening? And um, how are you going to protect me and take this guy out and help me here? And and I just, I noticed the patterns once again of David starting in faith and praising God and then saying, and by the way, this guy's trying to kill me. Can you please take care of that? <laughs> but whatever you want to do, I'm fine with. You're good. Your love is everlasting. And it, he, he had this pattern. And, and the thought just occurred to me that in Christian world, it's like people are always saying God is good. God is good. After he does some blessing, you know, after there's some big little, you know, some miracle has happened, some prayer request has been answered, then everybody's God is good, praise the Lord. 
And what I was noticing in Psalms and even in Job with all of Job's trials is that they praised God, period, without knowing what was going to happen, without knowing if they would be rescued, cured, healed, um, get their family back. I expanded my prayer study. This was true throughout scripture that, Hmm. um, that God's heart was drawn to people who were desperate for him and willing to let him just be God in their lives. I just kept praying it and praying it and, and focusing on scripture until I could get to the point where I was like, okay, Lord, if your will is that I spend every weekend in jail or whatever this looks like, I can't even wrap my head around that. I know you're good. I know that you do good. I know that you have a plan for this. And I went to court and I had, I had a stack of papers. The lawyer had said, get a few people to write, you know, like recommendations, character references for you. And so we just asked a few people at church or whatever. And like a hundred came, like a hundred or more came oh, wow. of letters, um, you know, but people just saying, you know, how I've contributed to their lives, the community, you know, church, blah, blah, whatever. And so the lawyer puts this stack on t- in front of the judge and he said, you know, and he explained the situation and they dismissed all the witnesses and they gave me the lowest possible sentence. I had to pay money. I, I lost my, I couldn't drive for six months, which mm. you don't realize humiliating that is until you actually do it. Like I'm being chauffeured around by my children. Yeah. So I had, you know, so some things happened, but it didn't go on to criminal court, which was the big thing. I just had to be safe and not get any any kind of possible infractions um, after that point. But I think it was one of those, I, I'm not saying it's not miraculous, but I think most of the miracles that happen in our everyday life are easy to overlook. It's the miracles of grace and love and transformation mm-hmm. that we think, well, I read my Bible, I deserve to be you know, spiritually mature or something. I don't know. But I tell stories of several miracles in the book, like real out and out miracles. And I think this was kind of one of those backdoor miracles. Like, yeah, it could have gone either way and it went in my favor. So yay, God is good. But I think the real miracle was that no, God is good all the time. Mm. And he allowed this to happen and it changed me and it changed my family. And it probably prepared me for some other, you know, grief always prepares you for the next grief. But I think the trauma uh, probably prepared me a little bit for my mother died four years ago. She was a single parent. My father died when I was a young child. And so when you have one parent and you only ever have one parent, she never remarried. It's a very, and she was a great Christian example for me. It was so devastating, even though she, we knew it was coming. She had dementia. There's only one way dementia ends, but every grief and every heartache, if we lean into God, prepares us for the next thing. And so there's noticeable spiritual growth and there's noticeable maturity and and there's a wider reach of understanding and empathy with the whole world because the world is full of grief. And if we if we haven't grieved, we we look at it differently. If we haven't grieved in a particular way, we can't understand or be there for people. And as you were talking about your accident and kind of walking through that, you mentioned there came a point where you prayed, you know, regardless of how this turns out. And that's, to me, that's a miracle of complete surrender. Like Mm -hmm. you said, a backdoor miracle. That's, that's a miracle in our own life because our instinct is not to do that. Our instinct is self-protect and self, 
yep. you know, survival and God, I, I really need this thing to turn out in my favor. But that point of complete surrender to him to say, regardless of how this turns out, God, I really can't even get my head around that. But regardless, you're still good. Would you say that's one way that really changed you, this, this leaning in to complete desperation for God? Oh, definitely. And, I'm, and I don't know that I was fully there, but I was trying to get there. At one point, they had me sign papers. This was one of the things that the police officer, he took me inside lockdown, left his weapon outside, took me inside to sign some paper. And there's uh, all these uh, inmates um, being ushered back and forth to their lawyers and whatever. And I almost passed out. I was so terrified in there mm. because I didn't know if they were locking me. Like, I, I didn't know. There was no explanation. He just took me back and I... I I almost passed out. Um, and there's, you know, I think we have those moments in life generally. There are a lot of things that we're afraid of. It just speaks to, I think, the journey that God has us on when, when we can be in those moments where we're completely terrified about something and come out on the other side and, and, and realize, okay, you know, God was in there with me. I survived. It's going to be okay. There's an emotional, and a spiritual, and physical struggle. I mean, it all goes together, right? So, True. so whenever we're going through something in life, our body responds in all of those ways. We have multiple multiple opportunities to lean into God spiritually, emotionally, physically, mentally, or turn away from Him and say, you know, well, if this is how things are going to go down, then forget it. As if rebelling can eliminate eliminate suffering from our life, which it can't. But at least in surrender, the suffering has purpose, where in rebellion, you just add insult to injury. Through surrender, you invited the purpose, okay, God, this is a huge trial. And I haven't walked exactly through what you've been through, but I'm, I have walked through situations where I felt guilty. I felt responsible. Mm-hmm. I had to work through all of those emotions. And like you said, the whole kit and caboodle that comes with that. And I know there's so many of our listeners that have walked through things and that your, your story is so, it's just so liberating to know that, that no matter what we go through, God invites us to lean into him. And to go back to even what you said at the beginning, we have to believe, we have to settle in our spirit and then believe it in our mind that God is good. And that even when we walk through things that are not good, it doesn't change the character of God. And I want to invite you to pray for our listeners in just a moment, because I know there are so many that are are just probably riveted by what you're sharing. And I'd like to hear more. I feel like I want to know more about how, how things transpired following that, because you don't go through something like this and it not change you. So I, you know, had a front row seat to your life over the last few years. We passed her in the same state. I know you've chosen to make your life matter for the kingdom. And I, and I, I believe as you're saying, but you've allowed it to, to move you more toward your purpose and calling such as writing. And I just cannot recommend soul speak enough. I even said to my husband last night, it is such a unique approach to prayer and there's no one that would read it that has not benefited from it. So I, I'm grateful for your willingness to just put pen to paper and not only share your story, but share these powerful prayers and this pattern of prayer that we see all throughout scripture, God does not leave us without tools. He gives us the tools. If we will really apply them, some of us just need to lament. Some of us just need to sit and adore who he is. Some of us need to just celebrate with Thanksgiving. But if we can get through this process 
and engage with him through speaking with our soul, it, uh, that is a life-changing process. So can you share how people can connect with you? Where can they find the book before you pray for us, Sue? Uh, you can buy it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or Target, you know, any of these, any, any bookstore that has an online bookstore can get it for you. Yeah. It's soul speak one word, praying change into unexpected places. It's put out by lighthouse publishing company with publishing of the Carolinas. You can even get it off their website, of course, but um, my blog and uh, is at sueschlesman.com. Subscribe to my newsletter. My blog's there. I also have a prayer blog, sevenprayersthatwork.com. Mm, okay. And this covers the seven categories of prayers. I put up a few prayers a week that a lot of, tons of people are on that and follow that. And just, you know, sometimes we just don't have the words. And so there's no harm in praying what somebody else says or changing what mm. they say. Thank you, Sue. I mean, you're, you're, you're a wealth. You're so rich. You're a well of depth and information. And so I feel like we've only scratched the surface, but you know, they can, can really dig in a lot more to just kind of what we've skimmed today in soul speak. And I just want to thank you for investing into the listeners today. And thank you, Sue, for, for just choosing surrender because it's not, it's not easy and it's not easy. And I, I believe with all my heart that that is that decision you made um, just really invited God to be able to use you in powerful and impactful ways. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I just want to invite you to pray over our listeners as we close our time today. Lord God, I just thank you so much for this podcast, this forum for sharing um, yet another way, how great and marvelous you are, how your works are astounding. We just thank you for allowing us to be a part of the work that you're doing in this world. I pray your blessings over Angela and her ministry, God. And I pray for your blessing and your peace and your comfort to be on this listening audience, especially during this time of um, uncertainty, God. Uh, we just pray that you would fill the listeners with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and spiritual understanding, God. Just pray that you would help each of us to bear fruit um, and to grow in the knowledge of God. I pray that you would strengthen us. Um, in endurance and patience, God. We love you and thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. I'd love to stay connected. So be sure to visit AngelaDonatio.com for my books, blogs, and free goodies. And find me on Facebook at AngelaDonatioBOV and Instagram at AngelaDonatio. If you've been inspired to make life matter, leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Until next week, let's keep discovering miracles in life's messy moments.